In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. It's time to get happy. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen. A fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness because happiness is a choice. And happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show, Harvesting Happiness. Lisa's going to shine a light on the well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. And as a filmmaker, psychologist, author, professor, and motivational speaker specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cypress-Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. In the show, she'll also focus on military families, service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and civilian life reintegration issues. So let's get to it. Harvesting Happiness on Tugginhead.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress, came in your host. Today, I'm here to talk with you about happiness, well-being, and human flourishing. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, the achievement of a happy life is not only good for us, but for those around us. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to the collective flourishing of humanity on a global level. In short, happiness matters. It comes from the heart, and this show is all about the heart. Before we bring on our guest, Dr. Nancy Sherman, I'd like to open up the phone lines for call-ins, and our guests can call in, our visitors can call in at 877-864-4869. Again, 877-864-4869 if they have questions during the show for Dr. Sherman. And I always love to check in with people before I begin the show about where, where in the world we're all broadcasting from. Where are we coming from? And today I'm, I'm coming from uh, a, a tornado zone I, in my house. I've moved and I'm sitting amongst boxes in chaos and very happy to be here. Dr. Sherman is coming to us from, I believe, the Washington, D.C. area. We'll get her to chime in in a minute after I introduce her. Dr. Nancy Sherman is a distinguished university professor in, of, in philosophy at Georgetown University and an affiliate at the Kennedy Institute of Ethics. She served as the inaugural Distinguished Chair in Ethics at the United States Naval Academy. She also teaches periodically at Georgetown University Law Center and taught at Yale for seven years before arriving at Georgetown. Dr. Sherman and I met in Salt Lake City a couple of weeks ago where I had come to listen to her give a lecture on the book that we're going to present to you today called The Untold War. Sherman, whose own father saw comment in World War II, uses the ear of a philosopher and psychoanalyst, but also the ear of a daughter who always felt that she needed to understand more about what her father went through, to talk about the visible and invisible wounds of war, post-traumatic stress disorder, resilience, military suicide and its prevention, military honor, guilt, 
and shame. Sherman says military families need to know that those who do not have loved ones serving are doing their best to understand and to help those who do. The issues couldn't be more urgent for a nation now fighting wars on multiple fronts for almost a decade. The untold war has received significant media coverage. The New York Times remarked that Sherman's philosophical ethnography is at its most powerful documenting the stories of veterans. Additionally, the Huffington Post said that one cannot overstate the importance of this book in furthering the cause of veterans and that the text is a brilliant exploration of a soldier's soul. With that, welcome and good morning, Dr. Sherman. Hi there. Nice to Hi. Talk. How are you? Oh, wonderful. Thank you for agreeing to be here and joining us today. This is such a timely topic, and I am grateful for your willingness to participate and shed some light on the hearts, minds, and spirits of our soldiers. Well, thank you for the invitation. Oh, wonderful. What first drew you, what called to you to write about the, the, the subject of the inner war that our soldiers face? Uh, I had... Uh come to sort of be part of a military community by being uh, an ethics professor at the Naval Academy. I have helped set up their ethics program. And um, I came to be very good friends with lots of folks that served, have served, and that was in the days of uh, those just coming home from the first Gulf War. Uh, when this, these current wars that are now going on for close to a decade, and over in the case of Iraq, over a decade in Afghanistan, um, came uh, on the horizon, I realized that um, there was enormous amount of uh, moral injury and not just psychological injury that, that um, is where the moral injury really wasn't documented uh, well. That is, there were tough decisions, uh, lots of um, ambiguous feelings, lots of um, ambivalence about the particular causes for which soldiers, um, and by that I mean sailors, airmen, and women, and Marines, um, and guards and, and reservists were uh, facing. So it was a chance to really explore um, the um, inner battles and uh, inner, inner uh, interior moral space that doesn't often get um, thought about when you think even about psychological injury, and it certainly doesn't get thought about when you think just about the external battlefield and the war theater out there. Do you think that what you are exposing, that what you're sharing in not just this book, but uh, other books that you've written, is exposing what soldiers really want to be kept secret or more about what they long or yearn to be revealed but might not be willing to share or do so themselves? Um, I don't think they want a lot of these uh, inner spaces to remain secret. Um, sometimes the what they go through is too hard to talk about, and they often don't think we civilians can understand with suitable clarity. Um, so part of the exercise of the book is to is to bring it out, to um, let them speak in their own voices. Um, initially to me, um, uh, who's interested and um, empathic, uh, but 
to a larger audience, uh, especially an audience that hasn't served and does not often know intimately the battlefield, but also to family um, who may always want to hear more and understand through a different lens and through uh, a different kind of commentary that I that I um, that I uh, offer as I as I listen. As civilians, um, we can imagine the morality that uh, a soldier questions in, in battle and certainly during deployment, um, but we don't really know the ins and outs. Can you elaborate for our listeners a little bit about the, 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 the morality and the struggle with it to find one's sort of uh, moral north? Sure. Um, well... Marines are often said that are on the ground, you know, strategic corporals. They're making lots of decisions um, right there in decentralized ways, not just top down from commanders, but um, the moral weights on their own shoulders. So um, there'll be decisions uh, as to um, how to really understand a rule of engagement and. Um, uh, put upon themselves and their buddies the risk of transferring um, uh, injury from civilians who uh, ought not to be, certainly ought not to be targeted, but ought not to be unwillingly hurt also in war. That is unintentionally, but, 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 with, but in foreseen um, cases. So let me give you a specific example. Soldiers at checkpoints are constantly um, worried about um, the, the fact that uh, there may be insurgents commingled with um, uh, civilians, typically thought of as innocents in the sense that they don't, the civilians don't pose specific threats. And um, yet, you know, to, to, get the, to get the insurgent requires harming or potentially killing the, uh, the innocent. These are what we call cases collateral damage. Um, you, don't, you don't intend to kill the the, the civilian, but you know that you likely will um, if you also kill the, um, the the baddie, the insurgent. Well, if you fail to do that, as right now you're, you, you know, you're, you're, that is, if you restrain your arms um, in the case of killing the insurgent, because you think the only way you can do it is to is by also killing the, uh, the the civilian, then you really put more risk on yourselves and on your buddies because you have an insurgent that could get you and um, get you um, in, in a way in which you're somewhat unprotected. Accepting that responsibility for yourself isn't so hard, but but laying it on your buddy. It feels like betrayal. It mm. feels like you've let the guy down whose back you're supposed to cover. And I think um, population-centric warfare where there are um, where the, the, the civilians are the battlefield. Battlefield is not somewhere separate behind some line, but it is just in the city where there is very um, uh, intense um, civilian life. Um, it's hard because... Uh, you can't protect your buddies in the way that you could on a more traditional battlefield. That's a, you know, that's a, a heavy moral weight to carry on your shoulders. It's one we don't fully appreciate. We cringe when we hear that civilians were killed in um, in in combat, and or you know, sometimes it's drones that uh, that kill them, unmanned um, unmanned predators. Um, but there is still an operator behind that drone, and still an operator behind the predator. And um, 
you know, you think, ooh, that's awful that civilians are killed, but we don't often think of how awful it is to not be able to protect your buddy when you're when the civilians aren't killed, but the um, insurgent is let is um, allowed to uh, operate uh, without restriction. So we're going to go to a break. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But we've got. Uh, I've just been given the prompt that we need to go to a break. And when we come back, we will continue the discussion of the untold war with Dr. Nancy Sherman. She's written an absolutely incredible book that gives uh, civilians and and warriors alike a glimpse into the the mind, heart, and spirit and morality of our soldiers today. Um, we will be back shortly. We will continue this conversation about the moral compass and also. The Untold War. So please stay with us and um, you can also obtain this podcast and share it with others on iTunes after the show. So we'll be right back and here come the tunes. know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity we'll be right back to explain how on harvesting happiness with lisa cypress Kamen on toginet.com part of the grateful good grateful nation brings together patients families friends and staff of beth israel deaconess medical center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the medical center Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Lindale Link with host Holly Rand comes Mondays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Linda Link is Lindell's first and only internet radio broadcast. Holly, tell us about it. It's really something from my heart that I want to be teamwork um, for the entire community to get the word out about everything that's going on here. We're talking to the entire community of Lindell. This is not limited to just businesses or just parents or just teachers. Simply to get the word out about your cause or your company, you must go to where the people are. And today, people are on the internet. Lindale Link. Lindale, Texas is a growing chain of business, education, commerce, community. Together, Lindale Link can create one strong chain of communication. Check out LindaleLink.com and then check out Lindale Link, the radio show. Lindale Link with host Holly Rand. Mondays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet. The show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen, your host, and I'm here with today's guest, Dr. Nancy Sherman, talking about the untold war inside the hearts, minds, and souls of our soldiers. And Dr. Sherman has written two incredible books um, that are really suitable for they're suitable for all who are curious about uh, the military mind and our soldiers, but specifically for the civilians who want to learn about what goes on in the transformation from civilian life to military life and the return. And the first book is The Untold War that we were just speaking of, and her prior book is Stoic Warriors, The Ancient Philosophy Behind the Military Mind, um, Making a Necessity of Virtue, Aristotle and Kant on Virtue, The Fabric of Character, Aristotle's Theory of Virtue, and she also was the editor of Critical Essays on the Classics, uh, Aristotle's Ethics. And I'm actually citing several books, so sorry to jumble them all together, Nancy. Um, we're back, and um, we were talking about um, civilian obligations during the break, and I was wondering if you could just elaborate on that. Sure. Um, we, of course, have a non-conscription um, army. It's a volunteer army, often thought of as an all-professional armed forces. Uh, and by professional, meant by those who serve, not just that they volunteer, but that they're extremely skilled and trained. And we civilians, as a result, um, do not participate. Uh, in uh, the military life, uh, we certainly do if we're if if our if, if it is our family member who serves, and I do think that families who have service members uh, in in uh, in in war and certainly just service members know what war is like in a very different way, and they also serve those family members uh, at home serve as proxies. They serve all too intimately and vicariously um, as as their loved ones. Um, deploy. But those of us who don't, and it's only 1% who've served, so that's 99% of us uh, that don't uh, serve, really um, think of war in a very distant way. Um, We don't have to make the sacrifices. Uh, We don't quite know how to relate to those we see in airports who are wearing camouflage um, and look extremely exhausted returning uh, from deployments or or redeploying again, uh, we forget that they're serving some cases. You know, for seven rounds of deployments uh, with very little dwell time, it's called at home, uh, and that dwell time at home is often uh, really retraining for the next deployment. And there may be three weeks of, of family time, and that itself is very disruptive. So, getting in the rhythm of a family that sends its loved ones abroad to deploy to theater, to theater and getting in the rhythm of the mind of the of the one who deploys it's hard for us We're, we just are insulated um, and so I do think we have obligations first off to um, try to be in their mindset to some degree to understand the burdens. Certainly, um, watching movies is a wonderful way. Uh, you know, um, I've just recently myself watched Restrepo, Sebastian Junger's movie, which gives you gives you a very good sense of what the hardship is like in a in a very remote outpost in Afghanistan and the Kengal Valley. But also, at a university as a Georgetown where I teach. Um, you know, I make it my business to try to attract uh, 
um, military men and women into my classes, in part because the subject lends itself to it, but also to make them part of the conversation. Um, and I can't begin to tell you how exciting it is to have a, a military-civilian dialogue there in the classroom amongst peers, peers who may have for four or five years um, and so na- deployed and so now returned to Georgetown at the age of 28 or so, 26, um, several years older than their classmates, but who bring this wealth of experience, um, who understand issues of just war, understand issues of courage, sacrifice, um, deprivation, body injury, um, body loss, um, body, you know, body part loss, mental stress, um, in ways indulged undergraduate students couldn't even begin to touch. Um, so it's that kind of commingling um, at home on the home front is really important. And uh, anything we can do to break down the barriers is our obligation uh, to those who serve. It's not an, arg- it's not an it's argument a- for inscription. It's an argument for understanding intellectually, emotionally, um, morally um, what it's like, and independent of whether you're for or against the war, or the uh, war. Yes, I, I was just going to say that it is. it really is about cultivating empathy yeah. and compassion mm-hmm. on the part of the civilian yeah. for and, a world uh, that we don't necessarily understand until we've been there. Yeah, I think that's right. But I think it's a defense to say, as a soldier, uh, uh, Marine sometimes does say, uh, I can't talk because you haven't been there, and the only people I can really talk to are are, are, are fellow mates, and especially those that have been in my unit. Um, you know, while there is a level of uh, of synchrony there that I certainly couldn't begin to understand, the the bridging work is is really important, and um, in this country. Soldiers represent civilians. They represent the civilian government. They are obliged to uh, represent the Constitution. And uh, the commander-in-chief is a civilian. So we, 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 and we, of course, send our soldiers to war, sometimes in very complicated ways, um, and often with not enough control or information or insight into the consequences, and not, sometimes not with full congressional understanding of what's going on or, or time to deliberate. Um, but we they are they are our citizen soldiers um in your book you tell many many moving stories um and then there's one particular one you talk about a former army sniper in afghanistan who in his interview with you exuded his unabashed sense of exuberance about killing the guy who killed his best friend in in this sense of revenge, uh, a commander could actually is this is this sense of revenge something a commanding officer could actually encourage in his troops, or is this notion of revenge one that is uh, repugnant and dangerous? And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because there is this uh, tit for tat aspect of it that goes on. I would think. Sure. Um... It's, uh, the subject of revenge and anger and war as a battle motivator is as old as uh, as as old as uh, war stories. Uh, if you think of Homer and the Iliad, uh, 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 Agamemnon was the angriest man alive. You know, Achilles was as angry, and um, uh, Achilles' anger to fight 
um, uh, after he sits out the war because of uh, being angry at, at Agamemnon, his leader, for stealing his war bride. What, what, what puts him into battle and primes him for battle is that he loses his his beloved um, his beloved Patroclus, and it's a, a need to take revenge that um, gets him off his butt and into into action. And that same kind of revenge can be uh, a remarkable combat motivator. And in the case of the individual you mentioned um, in the book, um, Rob Kislow, young sniper in Afghanistan who's uh, um, enduring a remarkable, uh, awful, awful firefight uh, where the enemy Afghani insurgents sort of swarmed out of out of the hillside like a beehive, he said. And um, uh, after hours of fighting, and he himself injured an arm, leg, and back, barely able to get up, his buddy is shot down, uh, a buddy whose name he now has emblazoned on his forearm, tattooed. And he, um, you know, again, with compromised body at this part, um, opens opens fire um, and lets out a round that kills the sniper. And he says, it's the best fucking feeling. And he recites it two years, rehearses the incident two years later to me with a kind of exuberance, but then a repugnance. Um, it's just a job. It's just a job. And you know, he captures, I think, well the feeling. Revenge is, a, so the ancients, like Aristotle, speak of revenge as a kind of anger, a subpart of anger. Um, but and in many, with many, um, or for many that I have spoken to and teach and have taught with the, the Naval Academy in Annapolis, revenge is ugly. You know, it's 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 Rambo, and you never want to have the, you never want to encourage Rambo in your, in your um in your subordinates. That's a wild card. It's it's like you know allowing a guy to have his his, his finger on the trigger, and, and it's like a joystick, not knowing what to do with it and just misusing it. And so revving up with anger is dangerous. Uh, it was put to me once um, in a class I was teaching in France at Sancerre, their their West Point. You know, uh, the commandant said, "Boys and girls, les filles et les garçons." Um, you know, I never want to see anger in the eyes of my 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 students. Um, he, he's speaking to to young officers um, because once you look. Once you look your enemy in the eye, you know they are just like you. So a sense of the humanity of the profession gets would get lost if you were enveloped in rage, and you would possibly commit atrocities or you know war, or, or crimes um, of war. On the other hand, um, payback is a very natural feeling, hard to control. Um, I wouldn't say to be encouraged uh, by. Commanders um, in their troops, um, despite a scene in Ristrepo in which it is done, a young army captain yes. gets asks for payback um, um, in order to mobilize um, his troops who were who were absolutely anguished by the loss of one of theirs. But um, and so it, it has to be tempered, and it has to be distinguished from a close cousin. Um, which isn't wild revenge, but which is moral indignation, which is uh, fighting on principle, um, which is easier to rein in, easier to submit to rational constraints. 
And in you know the good literature, these are distinguished, but they're very close cousins. We are going to go to a break. I'm sorry to cut you off once again, but we are going to need to go to a break. And when we come back, we'll continue this discussion because I want to talk a little bit about the moral anguish that these soldiers contend with uh, while in theater and then, more importantly, returning. We'll be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central, Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Girasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward. With tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned, these pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on Doginet.com. Parents, if you feel overloaded, overworked, underappreciated, and seriously stressed out, the Parents Plate is here to help you. The Parents Plate with Brenda Nixon. Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on Toginet. It's time to build stronger families through parent empowerment, and that's what the Parents Plate does. The Parents Plate understands the busyness of life and balancing child rearing and other commitments. Brenda Nixon will be talking to noted experts and authors on all issues. From teething to teen driving, Brenda Nixon is a nationally recognized speaker to parents and child care professionals and author of the award-winning The Birth to Five book. From Fox 4 in Kansas City to schools and synagogues to businesses to bookstores, conferences to churches, audiences rave that Brenda engages, educates, and encourages. For more information on Brenda and her books, check out her website, brendanixon.com. The Parents Plate is loaded with information and affirmation. The Parents Plate with Brenda Nixon. Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet. The show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back, everyone. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen, and I'm here today with Dr. Nancy Sherman, who is a distinguished university professor in philosophy at Georgetown University. Dr. Sherman has written two wonderful books. Um, the most recent is The Untold Ward, Inside the Hearts, Minds, and Souls of Our Soldiers. And the other is... Um, uh, Stoic Warriors, The Ancient Philosophy Behind the Military Mind. And prior to the break, we were talking about civilian obligations that we as civilians have um, 
obligations ourselves in terms of relating to our service personnel. And I wanted to talk a little bit with Dr. Sherman about when a soldier returns, the war that goes on or continues internally. Welcome back, Dr. Sherman. Thanks so much, Lisa. Yeah, soldiers, uh, again, uh, all service uh, men and women, uh, come home um, carrying war. Uh, And it's war that will last uh, a lifetime, as we know from Vietnam veterans, World War II veterans, such as my dad did. And, you know, my dad's an example. He Actually, he never did see, I'm not sure he saw combat, but he, he was a medic, so he, he saw the aftermath of combat routinely, but he wasn't uh, himself uh, on the battlefield, um, more often in a, in a medic hospital. But he, uh, to his dying day, carried his dog tags in his pocket, and he, he brought that war home with him but didn't want to share it with his family um, because in my dad's generation, it wasn't something you, you, you opened up uh, uh, and discussed, um, you know, um, candidly uh, with a family uh, about. It was, uh, it was it's not a dirty secret. It was, it was a pollutant, something that would stain a beautiful new family who you were starting fresh after four years of war. Uh, the 50s were a time of, uh, a time of let's start afresh. And, there is a downside to that, and then it's it's a very very private burden. So, um, the those soldiers that come home um, often come home with visible injuries that we can see. Uh, sometimes they mark uh, their status as as veterans by by hats and paraphernalia, and sometimes in the case of uh, one uh, young man who's 19 that I know, Jason Earhart, who came home with terrific um, burn injuries and limb injuries and um, TBI, traumatic brain injury, his mother makes sure, and, and he has reverted to living with his parents in a very dependent situation, um, his mother makes sure when he's in his wheelchair that he's got his army hat on and his army T-shirt so they know, the others you know, know that, that he's not just a kid who might have been a, um, drinking under the influence in an accident, but he's, rather he served. And so that's a way that that family um, mediates with the outer world, but they also have a lot of um, internal um, new life to understand and cope with. In, in, in this case, the mother um, was telling me recently that she's um, giving up her work because it's just too difficult. They've had all sorts of care, tutors, decisions, um, not to put um, Jason in uh, the Veterans Association um, system, you know, and institutionalized because it would be dispiriting for him so young to be with older veterans in their 50s, 60s who are disabled. Um, in other cases, uh, Don Halfacre, one of my students uh, at Georgetown, or a student at Georgetown, um, was a West Point basketball star and, and uh, was uh, on police patrol and, in fact, uh, the head of a police patrol in Iraq in the Diyala province, and her arm was blown off. Um, and so she adjusts to daily life uh, without an arm. And with true can-do West Pointer spirit, she does it with panache. Um, she started up a, um, a, a um, defense contracting um, business. 
She got a master's at Georgetown. She uses a BlackBerry Drives. Um, but there, there's a cost to all that. She gets angry when people expect that she'll keep up at, at, at her usual um, stellar pace. She is worried about hurting her good side, you know. She carries a briefcase on the good shoulder, but, but that puts a lot of weight on one part of her body. She's a San Diego kid and will unlikely wear a bathing suit again and feel that amazing water. You know, and, and she the prosthetics are either beautiful but heavy or, or light but ugly and still things to get used to, and sometimes she prefers none. Um, you know, so there's... There's a lot of adjustment, but on the other hand, enormous resilience, enormous positive um, work that she's done um, in recreating a, a new identity. So those are kids with um, body severe body injuries, but there's there are others who feel guilty for not having the body injuries, but having psychological and moral baggage um, that is more interior, and yet. Um, keeps their spouses awake at night because they might jump their spouse and put their arms when your spouse turns in bed. You might think, God, you know, there's a, there's a threat next to me. Um, they may drive too fast. They may, um, in the case of Tony Stefano, not know how to relate to his kids well anymore um, and scare the living daylights out of them when they're in the car with him um, and he's driving it at battle at battlefield speed. Hmm. He's garbage in the road that could be an improvised explosive device and swerves off the path. Um, all of that are, you know, they're highly um, um, uh, reinforced responses that uh, are protective in many cases, at least the fast driving, the swerving, the um, quick reflexes, the defensive um, um, hypervigilance, they're, 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 they're ingrained from war and they're hard to let go of. So it's a kind of stoic armor that the body builds up and that the military ethos um, uh, encourages as, as inoculating and then it serves its after having served its purpose, it's not very um, adaptive afterwards. And you have to let it go. You have to loosen the stoic armor. And let's talk for a minute about the, the ancients, the ancient philosophers, and how what was written, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago really pertains to strategy for war in contemporary times, the stoicism being, being one of the number one. Well, stoicism... Uh, is a popular philosophical term. We more likely know what it means than Aristotelianism or even Cartesianism or, Pl or Platonism, um, though we sometimes use the term Platonic friends. Um, Stoicism really was an ancient philosophy, 200 before the Common Era, 200 after the Common Era, spanned a long period of time, 400 years at least. Um, and it is very resonant with uh, contemporary military ethos. Um, and those in the military, especially the academies, who know something about Stoicism, explicitly resonate to it. So it's a, it's a, it's a kind of way of holding at bay and denying the importance of things you can't control. And in its place, 
valuing um, to the point almost of exclusively valuing what you can control. So your your control, your agency, your um, sort of self-sufficiency uh, is real is critical. And obviously, that's very that kind of self-mastery is very important in more in battle, in training, in um, situations where you may not be able to. Um, know what the environment is, and so you have to really be planful and have it all thought, have a lot thought out in advance so that you can make those split-second decisions that are required, having kind of internalized some of the options beforehand. The, and it also means that you deny or at least don't overvalue what's vulnerable. Mm. You know, losing friends who are vulnerable because they can be easily lost in a second. Um, your own weaknesses, your own body parts that you can leave behind right there on the battlefield. See your leg left behind several meters from where you're standing. Um, and um, your family who you have left behind and were you to be preoccupied with them and invested in them in a very present way would not um, serve you well uh, on the battlefield. So there's a, a kind of um, sense of invulnerability that you're building, um, often valorized to the point of invincibility. And it's, it's in the ancients. Folks like Epictetus wrote about it and Jim Stockdale, who was the senior POW in the Hanoi Hilton in Vietnam. Um, an aviator, when shot down, w knew about Epictetus, and he said, I'm leaving behind the world of technology, I'm entering the world of Epictetus, um, a Roman slave who wrote a um, popular treatise, or at least lectured on it, and then it was written up later. Marcus Aurelius, great Roman emperor, himself wrote Stoic Meditations in the Still of the Night on the Shores of the Danube um, after the battlefield. Um, though a great leader depended on power, tons of bronze, you know, and coinage with his image on it, bronze statues of him rolled in and out on chariots um, onto the battlefield, he himself wrote, you know, about trying to minimize your dependence on all that external stuff, the power, the glory, the fame, um, and just get into control, control your reason, control your virtue, what's inner, mm. you can master. And so Contr it's a minimal yes, but... theory of happiness. Control your virtue, control your reason, and you'll get, you'll, that will be sufficient for happiness. It's, um, and it's very, very um, attractive. If you're uh, in a military academy for four years, <laughs> the name of the game is deprivation. Um, if you're in, in, in boot camp and you're stripping down all your worldly possessions to your, to your mental strength and agility, physical agility, to the battlefield where it's, again, about the deprivation. And we're going we're gonna to slip into a break. Speaking of deprivation, we were deprived of our, of our prompts. So I'm so sorry, Nancy. We'll be right back and we will continue our discussion with Dr. Nancy Sherman. And that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. 
It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Part of the Grateful Good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the medical center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet. The show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back, everyone. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen, your host on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. Today I'm here with Dr. Nancy Sherman, who has written two very uh, poignant books for our times. One is The Untold War, Inside the Hearts and Minds of uh, and Souls of Our Soldiers. And the other, she's written several books, but these are the two that I want to really pay attention to, is Stoic Warriors, The Ancient Philosophy Behind the Military Mind. And um, you can visit Nancy Sherman at www.nancysherman.com. You can buy her books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and any bookseller that you would normally visit. Um, prior to uh, coming back on with Dr. Sherman, I wanted to talk a little bit about what Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is doing. And this is our pending nonprofit that specifically de- deals with returning military personnel that are challenged by post-traumatic stress disorder, um, traumatic brain injury, and other post-deployment reintegration issues. We are holding our uh, first in-residence workshop at Sundance, Utah in October. You can go to www.hh, the number four, heroes.org, and look up um, the application process. It is a scholarship program open to all military personnel who would be interested in applying. In addition, I am teaching at Kripalu in Lenox, Massachusetts on May 13th, and all of the proceeds for that weekend workshop will be donated to Harvesting Happiness for Heroes. And um, most importantly, I wanted to relate this work back, this happiness work, the concept of harvesting happiness and restoring smiles to these men and women who return from service in a, in a conflicted state. So I'm sorry for the long, uh, protracted discussion, Nancy. 
Nancy. I'm really sorry. I want to get you back on, but I want to tie us together. <laughs> that was what my goal was. Got it. Got it. I understand. Um, so uh, what I really want to talk about is the condition now of our men and women when they return home from service and what the public health concerns are and should be collectively our responsibility to, to serve those who have served. Well, I think the issue is that um, we, uh, you know, can do our, our, our best as you are indeed um, through volunteer services, uh, through uh, all sorts of uh, local um, uh, opportunities. In, in my case, um, the, the academic campus is really where I focus my energies in working with veterans and trying to create a military-civilian dialogue. Um, there are lots of organizations out there for, for giving time if you're a therapist, um, for uh, um, also working with families, working at some of the local military hospitals and VAs. But I, I think the easiest way is to connect one-on-one -on -one in airports and other um, public public spaces where you see military men and women and they seem alien to you and uh, you you don't know what it would be like or where they're headed and what they're going to be doing and um, where they've come from. And so simply opening up conversations so that they are um, they're one of your community in a certain way, one of your expanded community is a very good place to start. And I think there is the concept of not seeing oneself as separate from from them, even though you and I have not been deployed and many people in our personal lives perhaps have not been deployed. The fact of the matter is there is a, an interconnectedness between all of us that is part of being alive. It's part of the human experience. So while it may not be your direct experience, the fact of the matter is that person really put their ass on the line. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And um, I think, you know, there's a certain kind of guilt that we often feel um, that um, we're unfairly distributing the burden. I don't know we ought to feel that guilt, but that's that, that's um, sometimes there, and hence the the, the, the shame in 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 uh, in in, uh, in our position and our relative our position of safety, our position of of assurance that they don't necessarily have. But um, yeah, I think if you went up and down your block, you probably would see that um, there are a few members um, of your immediate neighborhood hood who. Um, um, uh, family families that have folks in the guard or in, in the national reserves that you really don't know about. You know, we live in a very different society from Israel, for example, where everyone serves. Generations have served. Uh, they continue to serve in reserves um, as their children <coughs> um, deploy. And um, if you're in a cafe or in a restaurant, it's likely that you, or not unlikely at least, that you, you know, you'll bump into someone who you once served with and kind of um, resume uh, an, old, an old friendship. And you'll pick up that friendship when you go into reserves later on. We don't have that. It's not the way our society is organized. And so as a result, um, especially in some parts of the country, not Washington, but maybe if you're in Boston, Seeing people in uniform is not a common occurrence. Mm. So we need to break down that barrier. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. and uh, address head on uh, what I believe will be uh, is is beginning to be a health crisis. And I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it with uh, some of the men that I work with. I, I run a pilot program within the VA, specifically a, a drug rehab area. And the, the, the conflict, the inner conflict that continues with these men and women when they come home and seeing that it is our it is part of our job collectively to help them bridge to a happier, uh, productive life post-deployment. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's absolutely right. And uh, we also tend to forget that these are long wars that we're currently in, longer than World War II. Um, Af- Af- Afghanistan is over a decade, 11 years now. Some have been in it from the beginning. Um, that's a very long chunk of a young person's life, a long chunk of a 45-year-old career officer's life. Um, and it will be defining, and they are complicated, complicated anthropological, cultural, social, political environment, military environments to be operating in. Um, you know, we also see it in the, uh, in the workplace. If we are employers, there may be subtle prejudice to not hire um, those that are returning because of fears of post-traumatic stress, fear, uh, fears of family instability, um, uh, also just um, perhaps reasonable concerns about level of preparedness in the workplace, um, given skills and the like. But the truth is, um, independent of specific skills, um, there are remarkable um, prudential and um, 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 judgment skills that were that are required in battle that few of us, a few of us, would be making. When I talk to my students about one of whom just recently who was in reconnaissance in the Marines about the way in which night after night he would occupy families' homes, um, sneak in, slither in, take positions on their rooftop without waking them up in some cases, or you know, gently holding them hostage to the degree that they, that they could so that his position and his buddies wasn't compromised while they obtained reconnaissance on, on the enemy and then slithered out um, on, you know, um, for an 18-, 19-, 20-year-old to be doing all that and leading troops in doing it and not, and not risking their lives or the civilian lives is remarkable. So the skill sets are 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 quite remarkable. We don't know about them, and we, I don't think, often appreciate how complexly um, attuned they have to be to their very, very um, different environments in order to operate at... Yes, and then the conflict that they experience when they come home because they've held a position of power and control and self-mastery, and when that system no longer exists and they're confronted now with addiction or homicidal thoughts or suicidal thoughts or anger management, all of, all of these virtuous behaviors are, are, are somehow in a haze, and, and they're back there wherever they were and not part of their present life. And how do you integrate that? How do you retrain them to use these very powerful skills to live a good life for them? Well, I think it's hard. I think um, networks are are incredibly important. Um, Veterans networks, um, 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 
these you know various transition teams. I know you work with them uh, to be able to um, advocate on their behalf. Um, you know, there's also there are also tremendous problems of homelessness uh, as well um, that we're facing, and they're coming home to crappy, crappy economy. To crappy, crappy economy. Yes. Yes. Um, I want to plug your website, plug your books once again to reach Dr. Nancy Sherman. You can go visit her website, which is a wonderful, beautiful website at www.nancysherman.com. Her books, The Untold War, Inside the Hearts, Minds, and Souls of Our Soldiers, as well as Stoic Warriors, The Ancient Philosophy Behind the Military Mind, are both available um, at Barnes & Noble, on Amazon, at any uh, retail bookseller that you might come in contact with and it has been an absolute pleasure i know that you on your you are on your way to teach and i am so grateful that you could spare the hour to be with us today my pleasure my pleasure and uh, the, the way that you tell the tell the story is a a very soothing uh calm way to present some less than comfortable pieces of information and i that i really enjoy listening to you so i want to thank you for that Oh, my pleasure. And again, you know, what I'm really trying to do is uh, let soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen, and women speak in their own voice um, with their narratives uh, and the rich texture and contours of that moral space of their narratives be heard from, from, from them, from their voice. Yes. And other ways that our listeners may connect with you, Facebook, sure. uh, MySpace, just plug yeah. it all. <laughs> Okay, well, nancysherman.com. I'm also on Facebook, so um, please um, uh, join me there. Um, and uh, uh, LinkedIn, um, you know, and, um, and email, nancy uh, at nancysherman.com, I think is what it is. But if you go to my website, you'll certainly see it. Um, and there's lots of uh, postings there about uh, what parts of the country I'll be in, be in it at various dates as I do travel around. Um, we are gonna we're gonna close out the hour, and I've interrupted you once again, which I apologize for. But there's just so much to say and so little time to say it in. And here are a couple of things before we part to consider: that happiness is not a destination; it cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest actions. Thank you for being a part of Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. We'll do this again next Wednesday morning at 10, 11 Central here on Tokyo.